Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Tuesday, April the 19th, 2022. And this is one more podcast in the LSAT Life series. And joining me, as always, Keith Seiska in Texas and Jake Feldman in New York. And we haven't talked for a while, and I see that the LSAT is still around and people are still worried about it. And I'm beginning to think that there's only two kinds of people in the whole world, those who tutor LSAT and those who need LSAT tutors. <laughs> Would you say that's true? That's fair enough. The, the ones who don't know it yet. Though, though to be fair, you know, my mother, the, the psychiatrist, would say that even psychiatrists, maybe especially psychiatrists, need psychiatrists. Maybe we LSAT tutors need our own LSAT tutors. Absolutely, absolutely. So there are different sort of grades, different levels of LSAT tutors. <laughs> and ultimately, if LSAT is God, and if we were to make this sort of analogous to the Catholic Church, we could have bishops, cardinals, you know, et cetera. <laughs> I'm going to call you Pope John Richardson from now on. <laughs> you know, all, all, all of these kinds of things. Okay. Um, yeah. You think that LSAT should become an Olympic sport? <laughs> I mean, if we're going to get into sort of in intellectual abilities, sure. Right. We'll do that along with multiplication of enormously large numbers. I don't know if you've ever seen those people. That <laughs> I think amazing. that. Man, I've become cynical about the LSAT lately. I think that the runaway scores are suggesting that my fears a few years back are coming to pass and that the validity of the test is slipping. Why do you think that? Um, I, I, okay, is it getting easier or harder? Or, you know, I've been out of this for quite some time, but when I, I, I'm... I'll tell you why, because LSAC won't address it. The, the, the statistics are undeniable. The number of high scores, the percentage, not just the number, the percentage of high scores has increased so precipitously that it is alarming. And everybody's waiting. I shouldn't say everybody. Some of us really would like for LSAC to explain. Are they getting data that people are studying more? Are people taking the test more often or... What we really what I really fear is that there is no good explanation and that's why they aren't addressing it. They realize or, or they fear also that the scores are just becoming unlocked from the skills. Well, here, well, here's another. Maybe they want to compete against GRE. I mean, if nobody can get a high LSAT score, people would be more likely to take a GRE. I mean, I think that puts our incentives backwards, right? Like, I would, I would think LSAT would do better if they could differentiate better, right? Because yeah. they're, not com they're not competing for for our attention. They're not competing for our business. They're right. It's for the law schools. schools' business, so they have to be a better measure, a more reliable and a more valid measure. I'm, right. I'm not concerned with the validity. I think it measures what it purports to measure. I'm worried about its reliability. I'm worried about the spread. And 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 if if we're trending toward density at the top, that's a problem for the law schools, because what we're seeing and, and you know, this is a meme across the Internet for for um, admissions on all levels. Right. I'm seeing undergrads with SATs in the mid 1500s and 10 AP courses and all of the different stuff getting rejected across the board at the highly selective schools. Uh, and and the only the only reason that could be there other than a demographic one 
is that there are just simply too many applicants. There are just too many of them, and there are not enough schools to, to fill them all, and everybody seems to think that selectivity is equivalent to quality of education, right? And, you know, maybe, maybe there is... I mean, I can't even say that that's true for the law schools, right? Ultimately, you're going to get a great education at, at the vast majority of the top 50 schools, provided that you take advantage of it in the right way. And so the question is, where are our incentives? What are we seeking out as law school applicants? Are we seeking out selectivity? Do we all want to be Supreme Court clerks? Is that the deal? Do we all want to be in big law? Because if we don't, we shouldn't be applying to those schools that aren't going to give us money and are going to be factories and are going to treat you impersonally and aren't going to give you that. And that's not to speak in a, in a negative way about those schools. It's, it's what they are. It's, it's what they're designed to be. But you can get a better experience at your local state university, provided that you make good connections with the faculty there and get inroads. And, and, and you know, if your intention is to stay local, there's no reason to do otherwise. Well, I, what I do think is that people need, almost universally, they need better clarity on why they're embarking on this journey. Yeah, what's the end goal is what I ask. And because the weird thing about law school that I think undergrads don't really appreciate is that having one fewer year changes the timeline so significantly that you cannot be reactionary. Everything has to be teed up before it arrives. And I think that a lot of people kind of... Uh, you know, are aimless as they enter law school and they fit, they think I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll see what I like. By the time you figure out what you like, people have outperformed you in that field. I think you have to kind of go in with some idea of what you want to get out of it or else you won't get anything out of it. Yeah. Well, and you know, if we're going to talk about assumptions, right, here's the grand assumption that I'm not going to accuse all of you out there who are listening to us of making this, but I think a lot of you are, that if we're applying to the T14 or the T30 or whatever it is, that we are assuming that what we're getting there is better. And we haven't even defined what better is yet. And so how can you know that what you are getting is better if you don't have a definition on the table? They just I want more that. options, I think, because they can't figure out what they want and they think that yeah. those higher schools will give them more options. But they don't. If you're taking on a lot of debt to go there, then you're having significantly fewer options for sure. Yeah. yeah. You think that people should um, do everything they can to avoid debt? Yes. Regardless of where they go. Everything. Around. Yes. Yeah. I think I debt think that... is uh, yeah. evil. <laughs> the way that education debt is is perpetrated on young people. I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's no secret that we are one of the few places in the world that, that does this to their students at any level. level. Um, but, uh, you know, it's got to be a very special case that you pay full ticket to go to a school. A very special case. Either, either it's simply marginal for you, which, you know, if that's true, then great. And then we don't have to worry about it. But if it's not a marginal cost, if you can't afford to throw away $100,000 or more, $200,000 to go to law school, if you can't afford to do that today and just throw it away, then the question is, what is your value add on the other side, right? Are you going to get $200,000 worth of better opportunity, right? What is the amortization of that $200,000 over the course of your professional career? At what point do you pay it back? How, how great an assurance do you have that you're going to pay it back? 
how much better a job are you going to get? Are you sure? Because if you're not, and what I think most people, what I think most people don't realize is that if you if you count the um, the opportunity cost, the three years of law school that you're not working, that you now have to make up for in your law career, if you count that plus your law school debt, it really does take an entire career for law school to be more profitable than just going out and working hard. It won't turn around in three or four or five years for most people. It's going to be 15 or 20 years in before that decision to go to law school starts to become profitable. That's really tough to swallow. You have to go a, a third or a quarter of your life before that you, you figure out if that decision was a good one or not. That's yeah. that's high stakes, man. You're 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 gambling a good portion of your life. Yeah. And who knows how you're going to feel about, you know, let's let's assume. OK, let's assume all of these other things are true, that you do well in law school, that you get the big law job that you're waiting for, that you get the salary that you were wanting, that your life points you in that direction. Are you going to like it? Are you going to want to stick with it? Right. Are you going to get the promotion that you wanted? Are you going to make partner? Are you willing to gamble on all of these presumptions to take you down the path to repaying that debt? And you know what? What's the one thing that people never count on? Your values will change. So however you feel about money and time and family today, the one thing you can guarantee is that will not be how you feel about it in 10 or 20 years. That's the one thing we know for sure. <laughs> so whatever calculus you come up with, it's almost certainly wrong. <laughs> I want to say very, very clearly to anybody listening to this that you should do everything possible to get a law degree without incurring debt. I, I feel very strongly about this. Me too. You know, through the van from the vantage point of many years when I was in law school, nobody cares where you went to law school. All right. And it may be that you know, a top, whatever it is now, 15, 20, 10, I don't even know what it is, but <laughs> maybe that will help you get your, your first job. Okay. But, you know, then you're on your own. And I think that the stress of debt is just horrible. It is so horribly destructive. Agreed. If yeah. law is for you, if being a lawyer is for you, I mean, first of all, the only way to be able to repay the debt, I think, is probably through a high-paid job as being a lawyer. Yeah. You know, that's my guess. And, you know, for anything else, it, it just, it, you, I think you're just going down a road where you're going to create more problems for yourself than, than anything else. So go to the so-called tier lower school, whatever that may be where you don't graduate with debt than, than any of this other stuff, I think. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give one further piece of advice to all of you 20 to 25 year olds out there who are thinking that the only way toward a professional career is to get that graduate degree now, to get that professional degree now. Here's what I would say, go out and get yourself a job. It, doesn't, it can be anything. Go work at Starbucks for 20 bucks an hour plus, plus healthcare. Put aside $50 a week, stick it into an education fund, let it grow, set aside that money, go back to law school in 10 years. It doesn't have to be now. You can do so much other stuff with your life to prepare yourself for a great life. If you can't afford to do it right now, 
find a way to go for free or start putting away money now you are going to be so much happier 15 years from now having set yourself up for financial success and financial comfort than trying to stretch yourself thin thinking that you're going to win the professional lottery on the other side of that law degree I had an interesting conversation with one of our collaborators. He's a real smart young guy going to law school next year. And what he told me was that when he thinks about his career, he wants to get it started as fast as possible because he knows that the highest paying years will be at the end. And so he's costing himself a lot of money if he can't work those last few years. And, you know, my philosophy was the exact opposite. When I could not earn a high salary, my philosophy was, why bother? I'm going to wait until I have a better, you know, stake in the market when people will pay me more. I was definitely not in a hurry to get the career started. I wanted to wait until I had a higher earning power before I started investing a lot of time into working. Um, so that really struck me as being like such a, a, a deep and different assumption about how you want to manage your working life. Well, I'll weigh in on this as having, and I'll, I'll share what I think some of my, one example of, my, of numerous examples of my stupidity in life um, was, you know, I actually graduated from law school before my 24th birthday. I mean, I remember, uh, I remember writing my last law school exam, uh, you know, a couple months before my 24th birthday. Um, I've never once in my life, not even once, seen it as an advantage to have graduated from law school at such a young age. Um, I mean, uh, uh, let me let me just tell you that. So, you know, when I was 24, I I guess I probably looked 24, and the first few times I was in court when I was 24 and looking like I was 24. Um, you know, everybody assumed that I knew nothing and wasn't confident. The reality is that I have never known more. And, and you people will never know more than at the time you graduated from law school, right? In terms of law, it's simply impossible. Okay. And, you know, so then fast forward, I, I've been out of that stuff for a number of years. And, you know, I've done odds and ends of criminal work over the years. So some things I've been interested in. And about 10 years ago, I walked into a criminal court. And oh my God, they assumed that I was the senior counsel in the room. They let me speak to the matter first. Uh, you know, while I'm, I'm quite certain that uh, I'm quite certain that I can guarantee I knew far less than I did that day when I was 24 and stood up, I'm here. And they looked at me and said, who or what are you? It's part of the, uh, it's part of the, uh, I don't know the culture of law that you just have to pay your dues. Yeah. <laughs> like there's truly no accomplishment that will get you credit. Oh, you went to Yale. Oh, well, but you know, what did you do with your degree? It will be the next question. Right? Did you get a clerkship? Did you, are you buying for the Supreme court? I mean, really impressed me. Come on. <laughs> well, and, and if six of the seven partners are all Michigan grads, they're going to think less of you than rather than more. So <laughs> I, I think also another point that I think should be made here is that I, and Keith, I'm sure would, would appreciate this, uh, perhaps probably more than you, the two of us, but you know, law school, uh, 
is hard work. I think most people can pass law school, but to do really well in law school requires, I think, an amazing commitment at 24-7. I mean, to do really, really well, okay? You know, not the John Richardson style where you do well enough on the test to get to the next level, but I mean, to do really, really well. And, you know, it's really hard. You can't do well unless you're into it and you really, really like it. So I think that for a lot of people taking some time off would probably be the best investment they could make in their law school experience. I mean, you know, to take Jake's point, go out and get a job for a couple of years. I mean, you know, try working for a couple of years. That, you know, school is going to look an awful lot better to you after having had that experience. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I mean, I do sense that people have trouble with this stuff. Uh, it, it's hard to make decisions in life. But I think it might help people to realize that decisions are things you decide to do when you can't have certainty. I mean, you know, if you could have certainty, why the hell would you need to make a decision, right? I mean, you would just do the right thing. Mm -hmm. this, is, this, is, this is the admissions advice that I have given more than any others. Ultimately, these, this is both freeing and it's scary, right? But ultimately, these decisions are arbitrary. Yeah. You cannot know what will happen. You cannot know what is best for you. You need to decide on an arbitrary rubric. You need to measure the things in front of you. My, my older brother used to just sit down with a, 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 note, a notepad in front of him and a pen and paper and just make a list of pros and cons. And you just do it. And you weigh the decision. And you say, hmm, I've got this list. I've got that list. Be concrete about it. Make the decision. Because guess what? The more you debate internally, the more you sort of rack your brain about it the harder the decision will be i think i read something that malcolm gladwell said about this recently that most people make too much of decisions or maybe it was gary vaynerchuk but he was basically saying look there's no time machine there's no way to know what would have happened in the alternative you just have to make a decision and freaking live with it that's life you do the best you can and you can never be certain and so the lsat is really a microcosm of that Yeah, that's right. But these things are anxiety-inducing, very anxiety-inducing. The way yeah. people agonize, and you know, and I know this because I've certainly done it myself. You know, they agonize over, you know, trying to choose which course of action to take, right? As if, you know, you know, as if as if everything depends on it. The truth is that very little depends on it because no matter which road you take, I mean, if you close one opportunity, you're opening another opportunity. And the experiences you choose not to have define you as much as the ones you do have. Um, even negative experiences can be defining and um, and influential in positive ways. So, um, so I think it's liberating. I know students don't hear it that way, but Jake said it can be freeing or terrifying. But I I, I try to emphasize how freeing it can be if you can't control the outcome, then just be proud of the work that you do. You know, I mean, put good effort forward and try to make good things happen and be uh, be proud of whatever does happen. Yeah. That's all you can really do. I mean, the, the, the example I give is from my performing days, right? That, you know, as a stage performer, all you could do is get out there and audition for people. And, you know, you would agonize over how did I do this? How did I do that? Was that note right? Was this phrase right? Did, you know, did, the, did I wear the right outfit? None of that matters. 
because ultimately you have no idea what's going on on the other side of the table, the people that are evaluating you. All you can do is go in there, do your best, and then do your best the next day. You have to let go of the idea that you have control over so many of the things that you don't have control over that, by the way, have nothing to do with you or your intrinsic value or your abilities. It has nothing to do with any of that. So all, all we can do is continue down that path, love the path for what it is, do our best, and then move on to the next thing. I think that that was something that was even more palpable to me as a jazz musician, where you're doing a lot of improvising because you truly cannot prepare for exactly what you're going to do. And you can't even be competent enough to do it well all the time. Like sometimes you're just going to get on stage and lay an egg and recognizing that that's part of the process and that, you know, the audience may not have liked it, but your band's going to know you can do better the next night. And so life goes on. I, I think that that's a really powerful experience that applies to the LSAT. A bad score doesn't mean you're a bad test taker or you'll never go to law school. It means try again next weekend. You got another gig coming up. And also, well, this is you've had an experience that, that a good score hasn't had. That's right. That's right. You're better prepared. I mean, look, this, this uh, is what you say, John, about, about you know, if you're going to make a mistake, make it quickly, right? In oh, jazz, yeah, if, absolutely. If you, I, I think that is such, I really believe that's <laughs> important. Oh, advice on the LSAT. No, I really do, okay? Yeah. <laughs> the worst thing you can do, and I say, you know, after years of watching people do this, um, you know, I say, oh, my God, here's a hard question coming on. Oh, this is so confusing. I think I'll stay with it and get more confused for a while. <laughs> Oh my God, it's getting worse and worse. Now I've invested enough time so I can really justify putting the wrong answer. No, please, please. If you see that coming on, get it wrong fast by God and move on. Yeah, embrace right. your errors. There's a that's funny true. saying, and if you play a wrong note, that's classical. If you do it twice, that's jazz. Let me float this since, you know, this is, this is actually a really interesting discussion here. Um, Here's what I think the problem actually is. I mean, all of these things that we're talking about are, you know, I think important and right. But the real problem for a lot of people is they have no idea what they want. Yep. You know, so, I mean, I would be interested. Uh, I mean, you know, we can sit here and talk about if you want this, take a year off or it will help you get it. But first of all, do you agree with me that a big problem is people don't know what they want? Yes, Absolutely. and we should do a whole podcast on how law schools play on that and invite people who are uncertain about what they want and take their money. Okay, but what? But you know, before we 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 bring the law schools into it, um, so my theory on this is that you know because we live in this world of uh, third party approval, you know, you have to get to the next level, you have to pass, you have to do this, you have to do that, that people get conditioned to, you know, the next level of, of which I either am or was certainly exhibit A. Okay. Uh, you know, as I, as I think many of us are, but I'm, I'm much more willing in my advanced days to embrace all my youthful stupidity. Um, you know, I think, but the real problem is when people are conditioned like that, how do you encourage help guide people to actually figure out what it is they do want i mean it is inconceivable to me that all these people in the lsat study group where there's like 
over 16,000. Are you telling me all these people really, really want to go to law school or be lawyers? I mean, this is impossible. Okay. They have no idea what they have no idea what it means to be a lawyer or go to. Well, I shouldn't say all of them, but a lot of them have no idea what it means to be a lawyer. A lot of them have no idea what they're going to face when they go to law school. I, I told somebody the other day, I said, are you are you prepared to read 500 to 1000 pages a week for three years? Because that's what you're that's what you're up against. And they're like, really? That much reading? I said, yeah. I mean, that, that's just the beginning of it. Right. This is what you face. And then you face face a professional career of a whole lot of reading and a whole lot of analysis of text and they were like but 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 courtroom but arguments but i was like this is a tiny little part and that presumes that's the field of law you go into what if you end up in contract law and all you do is read and write contracts even even for everything requires embracing and i think really liking reading and ideas and stuff like that it also huh. requires reading a lot of badly written text okay you know because i mean it's not like all these you know, tens of thousands of decisions that come out of these judges' factories every year, you know, all that well-written. I, I think you have to challenge, okay, so we're here, we're back to assumptions. You have to challenge their assumptions about what, about what is in their future. You really do. And, and, it's, and it's a whole bunch of question asking, right? It's very, it's very much therapy, right? It, what do you believe? Why do you believe that? What led you to that conclusion? What led you to, to, to knowing that that's what was in your future? Are you certain that that's true? Do you have evidence to that effect that that's what's in your future or likely in your future? Because if that's the thing you want, make sure that that's actually the path that you're on. Because it might you know not. What I'd love to do. We ought to get a bunch of people in the group and maybe do a, a live or a group discussion. I would be very, very interested in hearing people articulate. I mean, I'm not saying it isn't a worthy. I think any goal that you want is a worthy goal because that's what you want to do. Okay, you know, number one. Yeah. Uh, but I would be interested in understanding what it is that motivates people to go to law school. And and I ask this question partly from the perspective of over the years. Uh, I mean, I have seen the demand for law school rise and fall. Okay, you know, to the point where. I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, it was hard to give away a seat to a law school. <laughs> uh, you know, and now, of course, it seems to be, be bad. But what is it that people think they are achieving? I think, uh, I mean, no, I think ahead, this has sort of replaced the, the undergraduate degree as the mark of education. Everybody has an undergraduate degree. I know that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's become so ubiquitous that that doesn't really distinguish you as a scholar or an intellectual graduate degree kind of does maybe, you know, maybe that's becoming false as well, but it still does to a certain degree. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. Well, and, and I think among graduate degrees, right, unless you have a specific academic discipline, going to get a master's degree in something specific can be hard, right? If you don't want to be a doctor, if you're not deeply steeped in, in, uh, in the sciences, going to medical school can be a, a huge lift and a huge impossible, yeah. yeah, nearly impossible. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and so that leaves you business school and law school as the two that are sort of catch-alls for people to go get a professional degree without any particular academic focus. Anybody can go to graduate school if you go to law school or business school. But is that true? Is that really true? Should it be true? Is that the messaging we want to give people? 
law school is something specific and and you're learning something specific and it is academic despite the fact that it's a it's, a it's very academic it is very academic and it is uh, relentless it is yeah. intense and uh i i really don't think it's for everybody that reminds me of an old ad for camel filter cigarettes law school <laughs> it's not for everybody but it could be for you <laughs> now, the question is is how do you figure that out? I mean, I really it, would love to put put this up, Keith, or, or you know, put this up on the groove and say, you know, we were discussing this, and you know, we'd really be interested in, you know, why why do you want to do this anyway? What, how does this fit into, you know, your your personal goals or whatever? I'll make a poll. I think you know one of the things that I lacked prior to law school, and one of my professors nailed it right on the head when I went to him for advice. And so this is how I how I broached the discussion with people about whether law school is right for them. But what one of my professors told me is that I was having some difficulty in my job search because I wasn't entrepreneurial enough. That was the exact quote that he gave me. And I'll have to admit that until I started my own business a few years later, I didn't have a clue what he meant. I thought I'm getting good grades. I'm doing good work. I am very ambitious. Why am I not entrepreneurial? And it's because I wasn't thinking about business. I was thinking about, I don't know, you know, the law and scholarly kind of things. And so the way that I get people really grounded, especially young people who I work with, middle school students or high school students, is through micro entrepreneurship. If you had to go make money right now, you know, what would you do? Would you mow lawns? Would you sell collectibles? Would you go to eBay? I'll say a tutor. Yeah, right. Could you tutor algebra? I mean, what does your skill set allow you to trade for money right now today? That's what's going to help you understand how to be entrepreneurial and how to take what you can do and make it useful to someone else. And until you figure out how to do that, no amount of knowledge is is helpful to you as a professional. Until you can yeah, help someone else. Point specifically, unless you can offer something that people want and value. Yeah, and, and understand what they want and value. That's what I was really lacking. It's not that I couldn't create things that people valued. It's that I was unconcerned about what they valued. I didn't yeah. know how to figure out what they valued. And entrepreneurship really tests you. I mean, it gets you to right to the heart of it. How can I get this person to give me money. It, you know, you have to go right to the, what they want. You can't beat around the bush. <laughs> They're not yeah. giving you any money for anything that they don't want. Yeah, you know, one of, one, of the interesting, one of the interesting things is that, you know, there's an inverse curve with regard to how much people pay for things and how much they value it. Um, and so there's a sweet spot there and figuring out what the thing is that you've got that they want and figuring out how to price yourself into it is a real challenge. Um, and and the, the question is, to what degree are, is credentialism uh, a factor in that, right? Big, does big my time. Law, yeah, does my law degree allow me to price myself higher so that they value me more? It's part of the reason I didn't go to business school is because I found that I wasn't actually going to get a marginal benefit from the degree. I was already priced in. So I didn't need I didn't need to spend my $150,000 on that degree. Thank goodness I didn't. That's why I think that the law schools are complicit in this and why I meant I thought we should allocate a whole podcast to it, because what you said earlier, John, about Camel, right? It's not for everyone, but maybe for you. Isn't that exactly how law schools are positioning themselves? Yeah, this is this is really bad for a lot of people, but it might be good for you. 
this is super expensive for most folks, but maybe you're the one. Yeah. I mean, it's the lottery, right? They're, they're, they're selling the lottery to you. Right. It's, it's Powerball, right? Yeah, you're going to waste your $2, but don't you love the dream of being the one with the $400 million? One of the things that, that I that I struggle with is that, I mean, let's assume for a minute that uh, people see being a lawyer as a ticket to certain financial success. I have never met anybody who made a lot of money as a lawyer who couldn't make, have made a lot more money in something else. Sure, sure. I, I just this, found out that a lawyer who I respect greatly Who's, who was the founder of the top law school's website, who sold it off before it it declined. He is on his second or third or fourth career selling real estate in California. And if you Google search his name right now, you can't even tell he's a lawyer. I mean, mm -hmm. he is so successful. He's selling these commercial properties worth millions and millions of dollars. And I'm just yeah, thinking, I'm holy sorry. cow. What's... I think one way of looking at it... Um... You know, if you if you want to know if you want to know what the problems are with doing something, just call a lawyer. Okay, that, that's all. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Okay, this is one of the reasons why I, I generally dislike talking to them. All right, me too. At least in a professional capacity. But how could somebody sell millions of dollars of commercial real estate if they were focused on the problems? Right. It's true. I mean, it may be that the sort of legal mindset, you know, and I think back, actually, here's another example from a real life story from years ago. I, this was around the same period of time. I would have been in my 20s. And, you know, there's a discussion of buying this commercial property and, uh, you know, doing some renovation. And I distinctly remember in the discussion contributing you know, information about, you know, the problems of construction and this and that. And, you know, and then I walked away from the meeting thinking, oh, my God, what did I just do? I mean, you know, this, this is legal stuff. I know it's really a bad thing. I mean, it's getting in the way of getting stuff done, right? I think after a while, you learn to just do things. And if there's problems, then you then you get involved with lawyers, not before. Because if you get involved with lawyers at the beginning, you probably never do anything right. Yeah, uh, Jake and I are sort of of the same opinion. We work together and worry about the problems later. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know what? I mean, you can always find problems, okay? You can always find problems. I mean, this is not being clever, right? In a sense, this is being an idiot, right? Because to find problems is to obscure the potential for success, right? I mean, if success were guaranteed, everybody would be successful. So, you know, you need to move down the road towards your goals, recognize that, yeah, there's problems. Of course, there's problems. But, you know, in life, you get what you expect. So you expect problems, you know, that's what you're going to get. I mean, I don't want to overdo it. I do think that lawyers can play very, very important roles. But... What I think is a bad mistake is to see the world in terms of law and legal relationships and, you know, statutes and administrative rulings and things like that. That means trouble. Agreed. But we better be careful. My God, if we talk much longer, nobody will want to go to law school. <laughs> and, 
let, let me just you say, can't dissuade them you can try as hard as you yeah, want that's true. that's true that's true but here's the thing i really do think that law school is a good thing i think it you know has a lot of value but i think that what's important is to sort of tie it to things you're actually interested in sure okay because i mean there's a legal aspect to everything right and don't look for it don't look to law as a way of uh, although this can happen you know as you know some new science that in and of itself is going to create a lot of new interest it won't because right the right. courses that you're reading law school you know you gravitate towards things right. that you know, you find unless you want to be a legal scholar, unless you want to go and, and study the law and the history of law and go and teach law. Fine. If it in interests you that much, but otherwise it's a means to an end. You want to be do advocacy work. You want to do you want to work in entertainment. You want to, you know, I, I, whatever it is, you know, this is an, an entree into those fields, but it's not a field in and of itself. You know, what's interesting is that, I, I don't know, I presume people are aware of this, right? But unless things have changed, and Keith would be more up on this than, than I am, but I think it's just the only uh, standard curriculum in law school is basically first year, isn't it? Plus one or one or two additional courses. Is that still correct? Yeah, first year plus evidence and uh, professional responsibility. Otherwise, there's a lot of variation in second and third year. You, you can basically take anything you want. There you go. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that's, that, that should be a real signal to people, right? Okay, that they, you know, they better have things they're interested in, because if it's not a prescribed curriculum after first year, uh, you know, if you look at your course, actually, I remember once, you know, we all had these faculties, advisors in law school. I was having a really bad day, and you had to, it was a requirement that you had to meet with a faculty advisor before selecting your courses. And uh, I went up there, and I was sitting there, and he went through the whole list of courses. I didn't want a single one of them. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have been in law school. I don't know. I took a lot of very impractical courses, you know, jurisprudence and uh, and things like that. I didn't yeah, take you, federal courts or or yeah, the look, things. You wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have known that they were impractical until you took them. No, I knew damn well. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them sound very impractical. You know, I mean, uh, every everyone who was very practical was taking federal income tax and and corporations and federal courts, and I was taking jurisprudence and uh, and I don't know, like federal art, tax. art and law. They understand it, federal income tax. Yeah, some of these guys became, you know, became uh, big law attorneys. That that was a real gunner course, FIT. So definitely that was a very challenging course that a lot of people took seriously. That's why I didn't take it. I didn't want to go fight the gunners. Yeah. You know, the mark of a good tax system is that nobody can understand it, right? Oh, well, they understand it well enough to create problems for their clients or pretend to solve them one or the other. Well, that's, that, that's exhibit A. You know, you want to know why you can't do something? Call a lawyer. There you go. <laughs> definitely. Interesting, interesting stuff. But I do think that, you know, let's go back to an earlier point. A lot of people, after the struggle of you know, the undergraduate stuff and trying to get into law school, really, really would serve themselves well by taking a break before getting into that. Yeah. yeah. 
find out what the professional world is find out what it means to hold a job keep a job earn some money set it aside figure out what your priorities really are it's really easy to get wrapped up in the hype wrapped up in the idea that if i don't do it now i'm never going to do it the ones that do it well that that is i know it's ridiculous i know it's ridiculous the only reason i never went back to school is because i didn't want to it wasn't because i couldn't yeah it was it was it's a good reason i didn't want to do it it would it served me no benefit so i didn't do it but you know there there are plenty of reasons to go out and and you know live a life and figure out what it means to be an adult and then, then you can worry about that other stuff later. And there are, you know, there's a reason that what, what's median age now? 26 in no, law school? No. What is it? 27? Yeah, something like that. 26, 27. And what does median that mean? Median age for first year law is 26? I think so. It's gone up. It's it's mid-20s to start. Yeah. Okay, so, so they're 22 and they're finishing their bachelor's degree, right? So yeah. I infer from that that people are taking a few years off. Generally, yeah. that's the norm. Most people do. Some people yeah. significant time off, and it's a second or third career. Yeah, we've I've had a number of students in the last year or two that have been in their forties, fifties, one in her sixties. Yeah, I had a bar prep student in her sixties not too long ago. But actually, now here's a question: We ought to get into this discussion. Um, for people who are taking time off, I would often recommend to them that they do the LSAT at the end of their bachelor's degree, you know, when they were still in academic and test-taking mode before taking a couple of years off. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's hard to set aside enough time and enough bandwidth while you're in school, and it's also hard to set aside enough time and enough bandwidth while you have a professional career. Um, you know, I worry. I'm always worried about their test taking stamina and their basic test taking skills deteriorating a bit. Well, I, I tell you what. I had a funny conversation with one of our students a couple months ago. He's got a three year old, and I said, "You have never understood what stamina is until you have had the lack of sleep that you only get being a parent of a young child. And once you can put up with that, four to five hours a night, you can do anything. So I actually think the best test takers are the ones who've been through the ringer a little bit who've been roughed around a little bit and and understand what it means to have grit through the good and the bad because you can't you can't design yourself a perfect morning for the test you have to be able to be flexible and tough and and tough it out even when you're not at a hundred percent take well, some it takes some world weariness that you should have children before taking the <laughs> at least a little bit of a life you know it goes back to taking those gap years i always go back to entrepreneurship if your parents are willing to help you out that's the time to take risks that's when you can afford to go get into the gig economy start a business earn less than your potential and see what you like and see how you're able to generate income and then you know, later in life, when you need more stability, you, um, you know, hopefully you've kind of figured out which road is the the most satisfying one to you. But I think people have it backward. They don't want to take those risks early. They want a path. That's the best time to take those kind of risks yeah. when you're young. And it doesn't matter if your business folds. Yeah. My, mom, my mom always said, have a bed to sleep in and have health insurance. Other than that, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Well, you know, and that's what we're in a stage where I think that, 
I think that people are going to have to really work on being happier, living on less. Uh, that's that's kind of what I think. As I as I see as it, a, as a nation, <laughs> yeah, well, Americans could learn a lot from a lot of other countries in that regard. You know, be happy with a good book. You know, things like that, etc. Mm -hmm. Definitely in North America, we are. You know, and I'm not a, any kind of leftist. I'm definitely right in the political spectrum, but I think we are too focused on, you know, the attainment of material things, etc., and mm -hmm. not enough focused on knowing what are the things we really like, you know, to get us back to a theme, why we do things, etc. And if we can be happy living on less, then we won't have to worry about constantly having to get more, right? <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, this has been a very, very interesting discussion today. Um, closing thoughts. Well, circling back to the idea of assumptions, right? What one of the things that we can do, and it and it makes reference to all of this discussion, is start thinking hard about the things that are unstated in our conclusions, right? What things got you to the conclusion that you drew, and make sure that you articulate them all, because once you start articulating those assumptions. You'll start to see the underlying uh, untruth or flaw or, or you know, at, at least troubling nature of the conclusions that we're drawing. They are on far less firm footing than we believe. Um, so start seeing it everywhere. Yeah, and, in, you know, Jake and I both have uh, free sessions every week. So if all of this is really abstract and impossible to understand, then, we you know, let's unpack questions and show you how it applies. That's generally how I like to approach teaching. I'll speak about abstract things and then wait for questions to illustrate them. Yeah, for sure. All right, and uh, I guess my advice would be if you really must do the LSAT, learn to put the right answer. <laughs> That's why we're here. It's good advice. Okay, and uh, people get a hold of you where? Uh, TripleReview.online or uh, NexusAcademics.com for me. Yeah, or Last Call Bar Academy on Facebook if you want to chat with me. All right. Excellent. Well, this has been a great discussion. I thank you for it. Thanks, John. Thank you, John.